From breach of warranty to negligence, the construction attorneys at Sandberg Phoenix are ready to assist you. Sandberg Phoenix's construction team identifies problems and finds solutions before, during, and after the construction process, freeing up your time and providing you peace of mind. Contact Sandberg Phoenix today at sandbergphoenix.com. That's sandbergphoenix.com. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertising. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Build St. Louis, the regional podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of construction and development. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, the brand new owner of St. Louis Construction News and Review magazine. And I am here today. I'm delighted to be here with Jeremy Rodriguez, president of Crossroads Construction Services, Inc., based in St. Louis. And they are an environmental abatement services provider. And I understand Jeremy, that you're celebrating your 10th anniversary with the company this year. Congratulations and welcome to Build St. Louis. Well, thank you. And congratulations to you. I know that it is in great hands. We're excited for where you're going to take the publication. You've always done great work and we're really excited about that. But to yeah, thank November, you. 10 years in the environmental abatement and demolition business in St. Louis. So we're very happy about that. That's wonderful. That's a huge benchmark for sure. Share with us a little bit when some of our listeners may not be directly in the construction industry and when they hear environmental abatement, they might wonder what that is. So if you could kind of walk us through your expertise and the services you guys perform. So one of the questions that I always get asked once people hear that I have a construction company is, what do you build? And I always have to answer, well, we're more of a destruction company than we are construction, <laughs> simply because what we do is we remove any hazardous material or do any sort of interior demolition, removing that and making safe spaces so that builders, homeowners, developers can then have a blank slate to create whatever is in the architect's mind. So what that means is predominantly asbestos abatement, mold remediation, lead abatement. And then we deal with a lot more now, universal waste, hazardous household waste removal, proper disposal or recycling. And then we've always done this, but over the last few years, it's really grown quite a bit where we do quite a bit of interior demolition as well as selective demo, a lot of saw cutting, cutting out whole big interiors and stuff and getting things ready, whether it's commercial, residential, mostly industrial. And that's what we kind to focus on. That was a great explanation. I appreciate that. And I know if I have a question, probably some of our listeners might as well, but explain for me the difference between the different waste categories. You mentioned universal waste and hazardous household waste, or maybe share a couple examples so we have a sense of what those are. So we don't do any of the what you truly would call hazardous wastes, radioactive, whether low or high mercury. There is what's commonly is an acronym called RICRA, it's R-C-R-A, and basically that has to to do with eight different types of metals that have contamination. We'll get into all the specific details, but they're all things that can contaminate ground, water, contaminate soils, contaminate buildings. They need special handling. Typically, when I'm talking about universal waste, there are a lot of the things that people don't think about whenever there's a demolition that has to happen, such as light bulbs, fluorescent light bulbs. Before a certain date, they contain mercury and can contaminate areas with mercury. Smoke detectors, actually have low amounts of radioactive material inside of them. Those need to be captured and properly disposed of thermostats with mercury in them. Sometimes door closers have 
you know, different materials inside of them. Along with the asbestos, people don't think about fire doors. Sometimes fire doors, both regular type doors, roll-up doors, things of that nature have that. And so we have to just deal with a lot of those. Fluorescent light ballasts, the module there that lights the fluorescent lights, a lot of older ones have PCBs, which are really nasty. You don't want to mess with. And then in terms of hazardous household waste, people never think about it, but all of your cleaners, degreasers, comet bleach, all those kind of things oil, mostly engine oil, and things like that, those all have to be disposed of properly. You can't just throw them into the landfill. So sometimes we've got buildings that need interior demolition and the storage room or the maintenance room still is just full of all of these things. Sometimes chemicals that we can't identify. And so we've got to jump through all the hoop to find out what they are and make sure that they're properly packaged, transported, and either disposed of or recycled the right way. Wow. I can't imagine running into something when you don't know what it is and having to work with that, having to get rid of it or move it. Yeah. It must be really specific protocols, you know, yeah, for all that stuff. Them. We bring in an expert to do testing, to identify labels and figure out what it is. But there's also other things just like batteries. Sometimes a lot of older batteries, car batteries, different ones for different equipment, forklifts and different things like that are all there. A lot of UPS and uninterruptible power supplies have, you know, battery arrays and those all need to be captured and recycled properly. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. Well, we have, I told Jeremy, I was going to mention this because I think the timing was accidental, but it's kind of fun. So we've dubbed this episode, What Lies Beneath. And lo and behold, we wound up, we're recording it on Halloween. So I think that's just perfect for a spooky title about waste materials. And it can be a spooky subject, that's for sure. I would love it if you could share with us just a couple of generic examples of different unknowns, which I'm sure that's a daily occurrence that you encounter when you're doing one of these partial demolitions or one of these other services. There must be some stories that kind of stick in your mind through the past 10 years. And we'd love if you could share some scenarios of something that was a truly a surprise and you kind of overcame that and dealt with that. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes those happen in residential settings, which is never fun. I remember several years ago, actually, we were, it was near our first several years, we had a home in Kirkwood that had floor talent mastic that was asbestos containing. They were doing a renovation and needed that all removed. We got into the home and began to do the removal and noticed a very interesting material that this floor tile was adhered to. It turns out that not only underneath all of the floors, but behind all of the drywall, at least in this particular section of the house that was undergoing renovations and having walls taken out, there was layers of a thin board called transide. It's a cementitious type material that contains asbestos. And so it in terms of fireproofing, I think that's what the original installation had intended because asbestos is a fantastic insulator as well as fireproofing. The ancient Romans actually used to, I don't remember if it was the Romans or the Greeks, but they used to weave out of the fibers to weave tablecloths and then it was a little party trick. They would throw them in the fire to clean them off and then pull them off. But these guys had this asbestos all throughout. Now, intact and not being disturbed, there was no hazard to the family. I mean, it was one of their children's rooms that they were actually actually expanding in this older home, probably mid thirties or forties is what the construction was, but it was quite a shock to the homeowner. And so we did what we needed to, to do the, the removal safely and get it out of there. Another project, which happened not too long ago, we sometimes have to do asbestos abatement. There's quite a 
bit in a lot of public school buildings. And we were down at asbestos. It was more telemastic from quite a large area. Plan was to drill into the walls and create a low ceiling so that we could do a full containment. Those kind of jobs in schools require a full containment of the area multiple layers of poly and multi-stage shower decons. Weren't able to do that, so we were racking our brains. Well, it turns out there in the gym area, they had a batting cage that was lowerable, and they found out that it actually lowered below what they thought it did, and so we were able to use that as a ceiling and create our whole containment for that. So a lot of times, we have to be oh. kind of creative on how we do that within the confines, of course, of any of the rules, regulations, and statutes that spell out how we are to protect, you know, do our environmental controls and then remove the actual product. Wow. Those are great examples. I wonder if you have one about when you were on a project and you didn't know what the material was. How does that walk us through maybe when it's temporarily unidentifiable? What do you call? Ghostbusters? Probably not. Uh, well, it sure seems like it sometimes. What we do is typically, especially since we are a Missouri and Illinois licensed asbestos abatement contractor, we make sure that a pre-demolition asbestos inspection has been done on any materials that we disturb. It's a requirement of course, for the abatement. But if we're just doing interior demolition, we want to make sure that the owner has done their due diligence so that we're not disturbing any materials, creating any fiber releases, just basically putting anyone in any sort of harm. So what we do whenever we encounter a material that has not been tested, either we will or the owner's representative who already is, has done the testing, will come in, take samples of the material, and then the only way to tell whether or not something is asbestos-containing is to get it under a microscope in a laboratory. Sure, I bet you that. So then it's transported in tubes or air-controlled situations to a lab in the region somewhere? Yeah. Most often in the region, we've got plenty of very reputable labs. Some do use out-of-town places, but usually when it's time-sensitive like that, it has to be done. That also is done for lead-based paint. We make sure that before we're disturbing anything that we know so that any environmental controls can happen. Interesting story. Now, one of jobs that we're most proud of happened back in 2017, 2018. It was Hotel St. Louis. You mentioned that in the write-up there about our 10th anniversary. But I remember that they encountered a material that they did not realize was lead that contained lead. And so we got a call on the day before Thanksgiving that they had a specific schedule that needed to be kept. They discovered that all of the interiors of the elevator shafts had lead-based paint and needed to be abated. And so we had to mobilize. And it's not very often that we have to do emergency jobs like that, but we had to get out there on Black Friday with a quite large crew and do all of the abatement that was necessary as an emergency and get that cleared so that they could continue their work. So wow. sometimes, yeah, we're at the 11th hour and have to come up with creative ways to, of course, notify all the proper authorities, make sure that everything is in accordance with how, how it needs to be done, and then move very quickly to get that done. doesn't happen all the time, thankfully, but it, it was a Black Friday for those guys. Yeah, no doubt. I was just going to ask you, too, this fits into this well, but as I would think, is your relationship sort of often a specialty contractor to like the general contractor or the construction manager? And how does that work? Because obviously, I wonder if you build in time for unknowns or just when something like that pops up, how that impacts the schedule. And I guess it just has to be taken care of and remediated. But how is that sort of, you know, where everybody comes to the table and you talk about that and how it's going to impact schedule when the unknown occurs? 
Right, right. Well, so in terms of who we typically work for, and there's a pretty big or pretty wide mix. A lot of times because of insurance issues, a lot of general contractors don't want the environmental scope under the contract, nor do their insurance companies, which is the big driver. And so we will do work directly for owners or developers. Different companies will do work direct for, but occasionally we'll have a package where the environmental, asbestos and lead and whatever else, universal waste is under the general contractor's package. So the hope is that on the front end, the environmental consultant has done a thorough job and their due diligence in identifying every potential material across whatever spectrum, whether it's asbestos or lead or anything else, done the proper amount of testing. But sometimes it's not possible to test every material. You know, you've got them doing testing while it's an operating office building. So they can't do destructive testing. So they have to do as obscure, you know, little areas that aren't very visible, that aren't going to disrupt operations as much as they can. And then they leave disclaimers that, hey, you know, we weren't able to get into wet walls. We weren't able to bust in through whatever it was. And so as you go, additional testing is going to be necessary. There's quite a few environmental contractors or environmental consultants that do a really great job of being very comprehensive in what they do. But sometimes, you know, you just can't catch everything. And so there's process testing that happens along the way. So in terms of impact for scheduling, yeah, unknown materials, Hopefully the owner has budgeted it. You know, they've got a set aside an allowance just in case, especially when it's an older building on that there's a potential to run into things in, in mechanical rooms or, you know, behind walls and stuff like that. But yeah, it requires a lot of working together because the schedules typically are with construction. In a perfect world, we would get the building by ourselves, do our work and keep going. But that's not the way it happens. Usually, you know, we'll have a floor and we like to work from top down. It's just logical to do it that way. We'll have a floor, but it'll get cleared or half of it will get cleared and right away all the other, you know, trades are wanting to get in there or we're having to coordinate and it becomes quite the communications. I don't want to say debacle. Hopefully it's working well and it just right. requires working together. But yeah, it can affect schedules and we just try to work best with whoever we're directly re reporting to and see how we could work well with everybody else. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, you talked about selective demolition, I believe you said, and I'm not sure that I know what that is. Is it a subset of like interior demolition? Could it be exterior? What is selective demolition? Yeah, it's kind of a term that we use that is not super clear, but sometimes there will be certain areas of exterior wall that need to be opened up a little bit bigger where there used to be a window and they're going to put in, you know, doors, open up spaces there for roll up doors that weren't there before or an entire wall is coming down because they're going to add on to the construction. Sometimes there's a floor, concrete flooring that needs to be saw cut out either selectively for specific cuts that the plumber needs to run new work. Um, sometimes that starts out that way and we end up taking out all the flooring because there's so many different ones. So yeah, it's kind of not just going there and clear everything out for a white box. It's, hey, there's very specific technical thing that need to be handled in different areas. Sometimes, you know, beams that need to be shored in just a section of a beam that's taken out because of new work that's coming through there. One good example is we recently finished up, we did the interior demolition and selective demo for the St. Louis Soccer Club, the STLSC, for their main headquarters. And on the face, the north-facing wall 
of that entire building. And I haven't been by there yet. I'd love to see it. But we had to strip all of the brick from the exterior because they were putting windows in just a full glass on the front of the building. I believe they are the only soccer club in the United States, at least at that point when they designed it, that had a view of the practice field from the actual headquarters. And I so think you're want- right. They mentioned that to me when I interviewed them. It's a beautiful facility. Yeah, yeah I can imagine stripping all that off what you might find. Oh, yeah. We found that that we had to be very creative in how we went about it, actually getting some newer battery-operated mini excavators to chip out and drop the brick on down on the exterior. So I had quite an involved structure to catch that, which we had to learn and evolve because it wasn't always working like it was supposed to and just kind of be as creative and roll with the punches as we could. But that would be an example of something selective. It's more than just tearing out a few walls on the inside. It required a bit more technical knowledge and be a lot more careful in how you go about it. Oh, man, I'm sure. So this I have to throw in this Halloween question, and it probably might be a little bit overdramatic and not applicable, but have you ever gone in to do demolition and you found something that you had to call like the state of Missouri or Illinois, the archaeologists in? Have you ever found any kind of remains or artifacts from earlier civilizations where you go, oh, wow, that looks old, whatever it is? Well, I I ask that because I think in St. Louis City, sometimes people, general contractors and people will say, we found entire civilizations underground, but that's a little bit way out there, maybe for the selective demolition and that stuff. But I just wondered. That would be fascinating. I know we have <laughs> run into areas that we thought the building was abandoned and there were very much people living in it. Not authorized. I know one on the east side of the river, I believe it was in East St. Louis, it was a residential job, and my guys did find a dead body, Yeah, which was really sad. I think the only thing that I've ever personally run into close enough to that is I was looking at a floor tile job for an insurance claim in a home, and I was standing in the basement talking to the daughter of the homeowner, it was her father's house, and she said, my father died right here. And I said, where? And she pointed right where I was standing and said, oh, right there where you're standing. Yeah, for Halloween, I guess that's probably the closest that I'm going to get to anything. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I just wasn't sure of all the other nuances. If if you go in, I would imagine, again, thinking of all the uh, layers of development in in the older parts of the city of St. Louis, if you ever get into where, I'm sure, where there are unmarked utilities or things that you have to call in other partners to make sure that you're able to demolish them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes we will find different things that that look historic, but usually all the due diligence has been done on the front end for particular walls and things. I don't know that we've ever uncovered anything like that. That would be really fascinating to do. I know that we have been working in buildings downtown and opened up rooms and found it absolutely full of asbestos on abandoned mechanical equipment. And the owner pretty much looked in there and said, nope, we're sealing that up. Oh, yeah. It got to stay there. So entombing is what what it's called is an acceptable method as long as you are preventing access to it and there's no damage and it's not contaminating anything. It's perfectly acceptable to make sure that you restrict access and leave it there in place. So that's wow. I know you mentioned that as an example of that house that was built in the Kirkwood area in the 30s or 40s. When about was the decade where we stopped building homes with asbestos? Was it fairly, was that like 70s or maybe 80s or just approximately when? I'm wondering with the other, you know, residential jobs you do, what are the ages of the houses that you run into that in? 
So the crazy thing is, is that there's the date that it was supposed to have been not installed any longer. And we're finding that it's pretty sad. I was in an asbestos inspector refresher class and the teacher said that someone went to Home Depot and took a sample of a brand new ceiling tile and wow. it turned it was asbestos containing. So I know wow. that there's the date that it's supposed to have not been installed anymore, but there was always back stock that was still left around. Somebody had drywall that would slap it up because, I mean, this is like over 3,000 different building materials that asbestos was put into. Drywall, drywall mud. I know that down in Australia that the jute back of carpet was made from a repurposed asbestos sacks that they used to carry asbestos in. So they have issues there. So there's all sorts of different places that I say that I'm not surprised, but I am surprised every so often that, oh boy, even that contains asbestos. So hopefully the thought would have been that the 90s, that it would not have been used anymore, but it, we're finding that it's just not so, just not so. Some of the overseeing authorities are starting to even, even on newer homes just because you just never know. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, gosh, I could ask you questions all day, but I, you're getting ready to uh, get your Halloween costume together for tonight. <laughs> but anyway... On the theme of spooky findings, I so appreciate learning from you, Jeremy Rodriguez, president of Crossroads Construction Services, about just how you abate these materials and make buildings, whether they're for commercial purpose or residential, make them safe and give them new life and do both. We really appreciate you being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And again, congratulations. We're excited about you with the podcast and the new direction. We know that you are going to make St. Louis proud. Oh, thank you so much, my dear friend, Jeremy. And right back at you in a decade in business. I hope to have you back on again and learn from you way before the next decade celebration. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Thanks, everyone. Kaskaskia Engineering Group, LLC, is a woman-owned, full-service civil engineering, environmental, and contracting firm. We have an impressive portfolio of federal, state, county, municipal, and private project experience. We understand and appreciate the challenges our clients face, and we are committed to overcoming the most complex challenges to accomplish their goals. KEG provides high-quality, personalized service to clients and communities. As a certified DBE, we help our contractors fulfill the diversity, equity, and inclusion requirements of projects and we offer quality, attentive service to our teaming partners. Visit kaskaskiaeng.com to learn more.